Nikki woke to the gold morning light effervescing in the eaves of her parents' house. It was May, but in this small room winter lingered, the old fireplace unused on account of the coal stains that had ruined the stair carpet. She pressed her feet on the floorboards, heat from the downstairs fire held in the wood, slowly creeping into her bones. The mirrored door of the Georgian wardrobe threw back the white fangs of her nightdress collar, two dark curtains of her unpinned hair framing her face. Recently, her temples had begun to shimmer with strands of grey. She was only 27, and at 49, her mother Mary still had a vivid red crown, even when she removed her hairpieces. But they said grey hair was the flower of worry, and she had spent the last 20 months in two halves, her body here in Dundee, installed in her parents' house like a child, and her mind with Alan in the Transvaal, fighting the Boers. She frightened herself by struggling to recall the exact line of his jaw, the texture of his palms, his smell, her own husband. So far marriage had not been as she expected, but then she had not expected a war. She washed quickly by the sink, fastened her corset, slipped her petticoat and dress over her head. Then she pinned up her hair, clipping two long ringlets that had come down from her sister's head, just above her ears. Her own hair was poker straight, not even the hottest iron produced a lasting curl. It was Monday, the day Alan's letters arrived at their house on Faulkner Street. The postman came at nine, which was yet two hours away, but on Mondays she took the chance to spend the day there, beating the rugs and airing the rooms. It had been her mother's idea for her to move back into her parents' home while Alan was dispatched. A woman living alone was indecent, whether wedded or not, but she had surprised herself by how indignant she felt at this requirement. Wasn't war indecent? And yet, there was certainly nothing wrong with her childhood home. Lark Bray was one of the finest homes in Dundee, sitting proud above the tea. But she felt she had moved backwards in time, into her old life. The main reason she went, aside from collecting mail, was to feel the embrace of her marital home and all its promise, a future with Alan. From the floors below, a voice sailed through the shadowy hall. Wheesht now, I've got you. She rushed downstairs to find her father, stooped over, his shirt and waistcoat unbuttoned, revealing his vest. Something was clasped between his palms, his strong arms held at right angles as he addressed whatever he held. His hands were covered in soot. Then, sensing her there, he looked up and tilted his chin. Open the door. She turned and unlocked the storm doors, watching as he inched past two small wings poking through the gaps in his hands. He had caught a bird, and from the soot marks on his forearms and vest, she gathered it had fallen down the chimney. Steady now, he said, stepping out onto the porch with his arms outstretched. He left his top hand away to reveal a sparrow crouching in his palm. A second later, it shot off towards the trees. Her father clapped his hands together as he looked after it, and she watched him carefully, unnerved. George Abney wasn't a man to care about small things, and never a man inclined to save a creature that had fallen into the grate. He looked like he'd not slept all night, still in yesterday's shirt and waistcoat, his eyes shadowy, and the grey hair at the sides of his head ruffled. Are you well, father? she asked. He kept his pale eyes on the garden ahead, searching after the bird. Yes, he said. I think I am. I, I think I am. He turned to her. Have you time for a word? She raised her eyebrows, 
certain now that something was amiss. Her father never sought her out, never asked to speak to her. They were too similar, her mother always said, each as headstrong as the other, long grudges held. Is something the matter? she asked, following him slowly along the hall to his office at the other end. He didn't answer, but she noticed he walked as though carrying an unseen stone on his back, weary from wrestling all night with the cares of his mind. Except her father never worried, never struggled. George ran one of the oldest and most successful whaling companies in Scotland, and he did so by being bullish and fierce, and sometimes cruel. Whaling was as perilous as it was necessary, for without blubber the streets and the factories would lie dark, a venture of blood and bone to sequester light.